You are listening to The Hublic Sphere, a podcast created by early career researchers at the Trinity Longroom Hub. Our ethos is to interject the discussions we have in academia into the public sphere, asking what arts and humanities research can contribute to broader public knowledge. For season two, we discuss one general theme, connection. Welcome to The Hublic Sphere and wishing you all a warm and happy holiday season. My name is Courtney Helen Greil, and I'm a theater artist and PhD candidate in the Department of Drama at Trinity and an early career researcher based in The Hub. My research looks at how the form of applied drama might be used to reimagine deliberative democratic engagements. However, this episode is going to focus simply on applied drama, and specifically the practice of the Solo Sirens Collective based in Tala. I had the opportunity to spend a beautiful summer afternoon with the artist facilitator and director of the collective, Jenny McDonald, and Melody Chetamoyo, who is a member of the collective at Rural Red South Dublin Arts Centre. We discussed what this ambiguous practice applied drama is, how their practice and their way of connecting to one another was altered as a result of the pandemic, and reflected on how they effectively strove to nurture those connections throughout thinking about how to bring some of that out of the practice and into our everyday lives. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. So Jenny and I met uh, about 10 years ago when I just started kind of researching and looking into community-engaged theater practice, and she's been up to quite a bit here in, in Ireland. She's originally Canadian and has been working in Ireland for quite a while. Jenny, do you just maybe want to tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you've been doing? Absolutely. Thank you, Courtney. So as you said, I am a social engaged artist. I'm a theater maker and facilitator. And increasingly, I'm interested in where those practices intersect. So Solo Sirens is it's an initiative that has many aspects, but one of its aspects is to really look at a dynamic relationship between individuals' artistic practice and how that can manifest in a collaborative and communal context. Thank you, Jenny. And Melody, if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit more about your background, what brought you to Solo Sirens, and maybe what keeps you with Solo Sirens. <laughs> so I'm a mom and an immigrant to Ireland, been here 21 years, thereabouts. And um, my daughter was, I think, eight, nine, when she went, to, I took her to a play, and she said, Mom, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay. <laughs> so I let her join the drama club. And then as time went on, she discovered the Tala Community Arts Drama Club when they came here, and they joined, and they had fun. And they kept saying, you know, you should see Jenny. And I would say, who is this Jenny? So anyway, Jenny started this project and we were asked to go and join as the parents. They were going to do a project that, in, that was called Way in This World. And I thought, hmm, it's interesting. But I'm not a joiner, but I'm going to join anyway uh, and see what how this goes. I, I threw out a term a little bit ago, applied drama. And um, that term is a bit nebulous, even for those of us in the field. But I thought I just wanted to take a moment to unpack it because Jenny, you know, it's known by a lot of names, applied drama, applied theater, um, yes, socially engaged theater, community engaged theater, participatory theater, theater for social change, yeah. theater for social justice. So I just 
want to give you an opportunity to maybe describe your work and this way of working. Increasingly, I think of this whole theater, this whole field is theater that isn't just about make a show, sell some tickets. People come and see the show, appreciate it, have all the wonderful experiences that the arts give us, and then go home, which is wonderful in and of itself. But I think there, I think in this field, we're trying to do many more things. So it's interesting to hear you mention the process, Melody. I think the process is hugely important. Uh, how people learn and grow and connect through a process. And then how do you let that process influence what happens and what you present so that your audience and the wider community around you work, like people who work in the box office or people who make the set or people who are running the security at the venue on the night of your show. How do you allow your process to involve all of those people too, so that each of us is in some way changed in the making and the presenting, and each of us deepens our connection with ourselves and with other people. Now, I know that sounds like very lofty goals, but I think actually it's possible. And in that sense, this type of theater-making practice, I would say, hopes to change, to create change in some way. You know, and I often think when it really works, like when I finish a project and I'm like, that was a really powerful project and that went really well, I think, what if we could run the world like an applied drama project? <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing if we could give people this time and space and really listen and really understand each other and really connect with each other and really reveal all the gifts we have within us? Now, I'm, I'm right there with you. And as a facilitator myself, I sometimes stop and question myself and go, oh, come on, Courtney, do you really think you can do all this? And then I, I stop and go, wait, why am I a facilitator? Well, I'm a facilitator because I was a participant first. As a participant, I felt changed and moved deeply, and I felt like I grew. And so whenever I kind of start really questioning, which I think we should always question our work and, and the efficacy of it, I go back to those moments when I was a participant and, and the effect that it had on me. What about you, Melody? Could you tell us a little bit about your experience and what your view of this applied drama, socially engaged drama, what, what it is for you? I had no idea until Jenny just started describing what it is. <laughs> <laughs> what it is right now. Doing this for how long now? Three years, I think. And I had no idea that there was a process and a name, right? Because I'm just a participant. The one thing I noticed, I'm a relationship coach in my other life. I'm also a librarian in my other life. And I have so many lives. And when I see the process, the way it is, the people who are doing the lights and the people that are serving us food even, and, you know, the producers, everyone, we get to know them. Not as people who are just doing things for the people who are doing the play, but as people, as friends, as connectors, it creates this home feeling. Like it takes me back, not just to my homestead, because I, I had professional parents. So, but it takes me back to my grandparents' home where everybody was contributing something to the plate for dinner. You know, you go get fetch wood, you go get water, you go to the fields, actually get the food that you're going to put in the pot and you sweep the kitchen floor. You, you know, everybody is doing something. But it's, when you finally sit down, we're sharing the same thing. And that's, that's exactly what it is to me. <laughs> and that's why it's, it's so motivating. And yes, I agree, Jenny, if the world was run like that, it would be a better place. <laughs>
I love that metaphor, Melody. It made me think I was I was very influenced um, early in my career by Tony Fagan, who's now the director of Talent of the Arts. And at that time, he was the director of learning for London International Festival Theatre. And he had started a project called Project Kama. And they always speak about giving names. So they talk about the fact that everybody brings something to the project and everybody receives something from the project. So the, the description of a meal, you know, where some people are really good at collecting water and other people are really good at chopping onions. And, you know, we all have these gifts and then we all have these desires to learn new things. And, and we're all nourished. Yes. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really just beautiful metaphor. Thank you. The theme for our public sphere podcast this season is connections. And you've both kind of talked about connections that are made through the process and, and connections uh, either person to person or even with ideas or, or thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want to kind of start to really drill into the work that you've been doing with the Soul Science Collective over the past two to two and a half to three years. I'd like you to first maybe speak to the way that you were working together as a collective prior to the pandemic, because I'm really interested in not only talking about the way in which applied drama, socially engaged drama connects us, but then maybe how that connection was altered or morphed or changed as a result of the pandemic and being forced online. We met every week, mm -hmm. once a week, and Jenna would give us tasks like a question or something and put us in pairs and we'd go and have a conversation about it. And maybe you might talk about something that happened to you when you were a young girl or, or you know, prompts, I would call them. And I never, I, I couldn't tell you what they were. All I know is I remember the first time I really committed to solo science was I was talking to one of the participants, Ifa, and we were just having a conversation. And I, I don't know whether it's because of the way she was paying so much attention to what I was saying. I ended up telling her about the death of my baby that I had at six months. And she, she lived for seven days and then she passed away. And it's how she took it. She, there was no pity in her face. She really just got this and carried it like you told me something really important about yourself. And then in turn, she also told me something really important about her own life experience. And I thought, wow, because I had been struggling as an immigrant to make connections with, with Irish women. I find it really difficult. And yet this was an Irish woman telling me something that was really deep and painful. And it was a struggle she went through. And I thought, hmm, I love this girl. <laughs> because it was the fact that she didn't take my story and just felt pity for me and then shelved it. She shared part of herself. That made me feel like, wow, you, you know, you are such a strong person. And I, I, I still hold the story. I can't tell it to anybody, but I still hold it in my heart because it connected us on a human level. It made us equals. It made us friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what builds connection, that you, I'm vulnerable with you and you can be vulnerable with me. And there's no connection or there's no equality if one is vulnerable and the other one is not. And do you think the way that, that Jenny was having you work together using these practices helps? Oh, definitely. But I also think there was a commitment there to just go with the process. Mm -hmm. Because I think all of us knew Jenny from different parts of our lives. And there was a trust already mm -hmm. for her. 
and her process. Mm. So when she said, go and do this, I didn't question it because I trusted her. I think if anyone else had come and said, Melody, go and do this, I would have like, okay, what can I think of to say that's not going to put me in a very difficult position here, you know, and I can walk away from clean. But I didn't do that because I trusted her. So, Jenny, with, with that said, then, can you tell us a little bit about your pre-pandemic practice and, and how you work and how you approach that work? Yeah, and Melody, thank you. It's so interesting for me to hear how it's experienced by the participants. And I know we've had these conversations before, but I always, I always learn something new listening to you. What strikes me listening to you there is that this story sharing is very, very important. So sharing the deeper parts of ourselves. I think sometimes in the way that we live at the moment, we share a very surface part of ourselves. That's the part of us that kind of, you know, puts our makeup on right and like has our shirt buttoned up yeah. in order. And, you know, but there's all these other kind of messier, but infinitely more interesting parts of each of us. But it requires trust, it requires safety to be able to go into sharing that. And then how we respect other people's offerings, how we hold them, how we care for them, and then ultimately how we present them creatively in a respectful way, but in a way that allows what we have to say and who we are to be shared. These are all kinds of questions in my mind. And what's, what I have found works, and this is quite interesting in terms of pre and post pandemic, is I find physical work very, very important because I think we carry a lot of tensions in our bodies and we actually often kind of bump against each other. Like we have these kind of hard knocks as other human beings, literally or metaphorically. So I often start a process with a softening, like literally with a physical softening, quite a meditative practice of body scanning, trying to release tension in different parts of the body, some practices from contact improvisation that are about then softening into the floor, softening into a wall, and then coming into contact with another human body. And how do you how do you soften that contact? How do you make it playful and curious rather than instantly judgmental or instantly forceful? So we had an Abby five by five week early in the process of creating falling. And the first morning, we did an exercise about comfort and discomfort. So how do we experience and express comfort and discomfort in our own bodies? And then how can we help somebody else go on a journey from discomfort to comfort and back again? So we literally go through the physical mechanics of that process. I often start with that exercise because I think it becomes a metaphor for the whole devising process, which is how do we create a space which is safe for risk and safe for discomfort? Because discomfort is important. It is interesting. It's often how we learn and how we grow. So we don't just want a space where everyone just feels really relaxed all the time, but we do want to care for one another with that discomfort. And then ultimately when we present, if we are going to present, for example, quite difficult stories to an audience, we need to care for the audience too. We need to be aware of how that material might land. So the physicality, has been very important to me to allow that that kind of story sharing and that kind of story carrying between a group of people. Well, also the you know, the idea that we embody knowledge, right? Like our bodies have so much wisdom, and so to say, no, we should just sit here and only use our brains and our mouths when our entire bodies are needed. People who pace 
because they think better when they're moving. Right. And I think that's something that's really unique about this approach and this, this theater, socially engaged theater approach is that we're using our bodies and our stories and, and all of our being. Leaning into that physical work would bring out uh, a lot of these aspects. Yeah. For sure. And I think we're, we're leaning into all of our own being and we're also developing our capacity for curiosity and interest in other people's being. And I think that's, that's very interesting to hold those two spaces simultaneously artistically, you know, because it becomes, what do I want to say? And that's very important, but also what am I seeing in other people? Yeah. And I think that whole embodying process also helps you to get out of your head because in your head is where you are usually when you're afraid and stuff. So, you know, if you keep thinking, I can't tell people this, I can't tell people this, it's shameful. You, you can't then, you know, be able to express it the way you need to express it. But when you move, like really, I was so surprised that I just, and I said it. It's so much that in falling, I had to tell the story again. And actually people had to say, Melody, you need to tell the story again. Because I then brought this grower that I have for my daughter that I kept. Of all her things, I kept that one thing because my daughter was a preterm baby and she came out of hospital after four months. So this was a continuation from the fact that one died. I moved to Ireland because my baby died. I couldn't stand in Zimbabwe anymore. So I came here to run away from losing a baby. And then I discovered I was pregnant when I was here. Then I had a preterm baby and, and she was in hospital for four months. So I had this grower to remind me of how small she used to be. Because now she's taller than me. Yeah. <laughs> but I just felt like it was the one thing I needed. And people said, you need to include that. And I was like, why should I include it? I don't want to include it. But everybody was so, it's such a beautiful story. You really need to include it. And then I, I included it. And it, it was helpful. It was helpful because it wasn't my story alone. It was like every one of us now had, had imported it. So that process, just it's like a, an unlocking key. I would say, yeah. How did those connections and that way of working change when the pandemic hit and you were forced into this Zoom space? Yeah, so we had, we just finished the project Falling, as Melody said, which was the presentation for the Solo Science Festival. And I knew the funding had come through to do research and development on Kaza, which is the play that we just performed. And then, yes, it was a pandemic. So we actually had an in-person meeting booked for, I believe, the 26th of March. And then the WhatsApp group went around <laughs> going, um, maybe we can still have this meeting on Zoom. And so we had that meeting, which was a debrief of what we just done. And then I said to people, oh, you know, there's this new project coming, but maybe I'll wait until I can tell you about it in person. So, of course, a couple months on, I said, I'm not going to wait anymore. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you about it. So the first Zoom meeting, it was great because I needed to share the story with everyone. So I said, okay, it's going to be a storytelling session. Get comfortable, bring a blanket, make tea. And I remember it was really lovely to watch all of you because you're all in your Zoom boxes. But, and then I dim the lights at my place and then lit a candle and I said, okay, we're starting the, the story. So right away I discovered that on Zoom, you're still in a space of connection. And in certain ways, it is more challenging because everybody's in a box and everybody's flat and two-dimensional and you don't have this capacity to hug and to 
um, to see who's looking at who. But you can still create ritual, right? You can still light a candle before you tell a story. You can still invite people to get physically comfortable. So right from the start, I suppose I just thought this is an interesting, this is going to be an interesting time of experimentation. I have a really physical practice. And I tend to spend a lot of a lot of time kind of jump, literally jumping around the room. Yeah. Meanwhile, you've done the process as well, Courtney, in an earlier version. So when you were studying, so you know it gets really physical. Um, but I thought, okay, this is a great challenge. This is such a great challenge. This work is all about connection. We're we're being pushed into isolation right now. That's really tough. And if we can maintain this connection and this process throughout this pandemic it will be possibly even more important than it's ever been before. So I just started playing with how far can you push that little Zoom box. And we did all kinds of stuff. We did a lot of stuff moving around in your space. Can you get your feet above your head? Can you sit on something that's on a chair? Can you stand on something that's on the floor? Can you enter your Zoom box from the top or the side? Can you, you know, so we just, we played. Like it was yeah. like, okay, here's here's a new set of tools. Here's a new here's a new game. So we did a lot of things that we would do in our original process. A lot of tools we already had. We would go into breakout room pairs and share stories, or we would go into groups of three and four and create improvisations with prompts and with technical parameters that had been included. But then there was actually some new material because of the Zoom space. Mm. Um, a big thing that happened differently on Zoom is that we were able to start inviting other people into our workshops. So as people found out what we were doing with Kessar, we had a lot of interest in it. And I could say to people, we, you know, we Zoom on Tuesday nights. So, <laughs> so we had people joining us from Galway, or we had people joining us from Derry. And then as it became clear that as part of the Kessar process, we were going to collect 100 stories, I thought, how wonderful to do this from around the world. Like this, again, there's an opportunity in this Zoom space. We can share what we have done as a collective in Tala with the planet. And we really did. You know, we had stories from every continent of the world. We met people from all over the world who were able to come on to those Zoom calls. We did some extra Zoom calls for people who the time zone changed and weren't going to work for. So there were certainly opportunities, things I missed. I did, I did sometimes find there's a little bit of an inertia that creeps into screens and there's a little bit of, it's very easy for energy to drop mm. because I think we're used to the screen as a lower energy space. We yeah. often use our screens for Netflix or for <laughs> relaxation, or we've been using them for some people like that they were on them all day for work. Yes. And so it was really challenging for people and hats off to all of you. Melody, you're one of those who did still came on, you know, so would finish work at five and then get back on there at seven. But yeah, I noticed, I noticed that we, we have to watch, it just gets a little cozy because you're still at home. You don't have the ritual of like, going to the workshop, thinking on the way to the workshop, what you're going to be doing. You don't have the little chat into the workshop. You don't mm. have the chats after. Although we did start to have the chats after, actually. We did. That's why we were going up to, <laughs> yeah. you know, another hour later, yeah. because we started having chats and asking for more time when we're doing group work. Just say, we need more five, like five more minutes, you know, because you found it was more intimate and easier to talk to one person than to try and talk to the whole group. And also, I think, because, again, there was trust. Because they had seen us together and they knew how close and how much of a unit we are, it was easier for them to 
join us because they knew there was there was going to be care and there was going to be you know it wasn't just going to be a waste there was going because they had already seen us together and how we worked i think that's how it could be carried online and there was still the same energy and expectation i would say I think so. I think it did really help that we created a full process together. And I think as new people joined us, even though they were then joining in an online space where it was perhaps more challenging to get to know one another, as you said, we had such a strong nucleus, didn't we? We had such a strong core and people could feel that. Mm -hmm. So people were able to, to come into that space with relative ease, I think. I don't know what it would be like to start a brand new group on Zoom. I imagine that would be quite challenging group who didn't know one another before, a new project entirely. But for us, it was a new project, but building on existing relationships. Yes, I tend to, I get to a point where I just shut down. Like I'm gone, you can't bring me back. <laughs> and I had a couple, if not more than a couple, where I, my brain just goes and I'm in another zone and I'm doing something else. And, and one day I started typing. I just this, had this idea for a book and I just started typing. And Nelta, because she's my sister, said, Melody, what were you doing? And I said, when? She said, you know, when we were. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. My brain just went. And I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself back. But I was there. <laughs> just, I don't think I was hearing anything anyone was saying. But I think because of the love I have for the team and, and you know, I want to be there as much as possible, so much that if my brain is wandering, I make myself, I remind myself why this is important and I come back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's what's important, that the commitment is not just to me, it's to the whole group and my presence is important for the whole group. So I, I have to make sure I'm present. Wow. So it sounds like, at least for, for your process, kind of moving online didn't really alter or rupture those connections because they were so solid. I think so. I think so. And a lot of people said it was really helpful for them during the pandemic, but although there's always a bit of that frustration with the screen or the wish to see people in person, people did feel grateful that there was that space. Several people said that over the course of the project, that it kind of it, it kept them going as well to have that, that weekly connection. And we did have one moment in December where we were able to meet live on the beach in Hawaii. And not everybody was able to do that, but for those who were, that was, that was quite special. And I think we did always hold on to this hope and this belief that we were going to be able to do the performance. I think the first live rehearsal, we were all a little bit awkward in a way. Yeah. I was thinking, I haven't done this in so long, and this used to be my norm. But I'm kind of going, okay, um, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And, but also live, but without touch, and with social distancing, and with masks. And so that was a whole that was a whole adjustment again. It wasn't just like, oh, it's live, and now it's just exactly as we've done it before. Mm-hmm. It was a lot to think about, it was a lot to consider, and to adjust to. And going forward, do you, will you kind of do a hybrid approach or do you think you'll go back primarily to meeting in person or do you think you might incorporate zoom every once in a while what do you what do you think when the solo signs meet together it's like you've gone to a massage and you've gone to Uh, uh a yoga retreat and you've gone to what else the other thing that you do to relax yourself you know and so it's it's like 
you're going there to feed your soul you come back really replenished that you wouldn't want to miss that unless you really had to so i i i wouldn't want us to do a hybrid hybrid maybe once in a while we might meet on zoom for whatever reason but i would still want to maintain the the meetings and and this is me saying it with a very heavy schedule like i i have so many things i'm doing but i still find the space just to meet gives me the energy to do all those other things that i need to do mm -hmm. and i hear that from everyone literally you know they all say you know i'm so busy i don't even know how i'm doing this but i can't miss this because because there's if, if you know how they say you should always do things that that feed your soul and this is one of those things that feed my soul and every member of solar science is the same it's like you're coming home to your sisters it's like to me it's like going home like it's my mom with Nelta and and my sister Olga and we are together and you know and our kids and our brothers and you know and we're all hugging like we always do that <laughs> and, and, and it's it's so good that I can actually create that with a group of people coming from very different backgrounds from me different colors different ages different everything but still we have this one thing in common that we want to create together and that's that's awesome that's yeah. really incredible we, we're coming closer to the end so i just i wanted to ask you what what's your biggest takeaway in and dealing with the challenge that the pandemic presented to its meeting in person so the, the way that you were able to adapt with solar sirens you know, moving on to the online space in a way that it still nurtured you, that you wanted to go every week, even though it was tough and you'd been staring at a screen. You know, what is that takeaway maybe for your life? Like, did it did it have an impact on your life outside of the Solar Sirens Collective? I would say so. Sometimes we make so many barriers to things, right? But this us getting together and us knowing this is important and using another medium to do it is finding other ways. And I'm, I'm a, a, an advocate for finding other ways to solving problems. I'm always doing that. Like I, when I have a problem, I, I think, okay, how many solutions do I have? So which ones should I use? How many can I combine to make it my life really easy? <laughs> <laughs> and this is what we did when we were doing this. And, and I think it should be done in all aspects of life. Mm. I think I, I take away that reinforced belief that love and creativity will prevail. They will find a way. You know, and sometimes I think both of those, those two forces that are maybe the same force, or maybe they're, they're two forces that intertwine with one another, but I always think that love and creativity both are like a river. They just find the way to keep flowing and you can stick barriers in the way and you can throw in a big rock or you can try and build a dam but it will just like wow, I keep love that. finding its way around you know and that's how I felt during this pandemic with Soul Sirens I thought the the love and connection are there the desire to create is so strong all those things came at us but I think if you have that that foundation of the desire to love and the desire to create, you just keep finding the way. You just keep finding the path. And those those forces are so powerful. And I think this is where I really, really believe maybe this comes to like circled right back to the beginning of this conversation. Like the core importance 
of those of us who wish to having access to creative expression, to cultural expression, to cultural activity that I think for many people, because I can't speak for all people, but for myself and many people I know, it is so fundamental to being the human being that we want to be in this world. And so there was also a responsibility in this pandemic to keep things going and to find the ways. And Zoom was, was a gift in many ways. Yeah, I'm glad it was out there. <laughs> and if it hadn't been Zoom, I think we would have found something else. That's what's interesting. So quickly, everybody was coming up with ideas yes. of how to, how to help this continue. And technology is one of those kind of forces that can help you continue things in yeah. a challenge, you know? But it, it seems to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but at least within these hours on Tuesday night, you were somehow able to fight back Zoom fatigue. Because I think, like, for me, I you know, I was on Zoom a lot, and I just, you know would be in meeting after meeting and I was in a process at the moment just um, working on my research where I just I didn't want to I wanted to unplug but then I found that I was missing that part of me that that was so used to connecting and playing with others mm-hmm. and maybe what I'm hearing and again tell me if I'm wrong just from listening to you guys today is that you made it playful mm-hmm. like you made yes. the zoom space not just the space of this is what we have at the moment so we have to deal with it but okay this is what we have and how can we play with it how can we make it fun how can we energize it and i think that's that's something that this practice brings to the space Mm -hmm. and i i also wonder like how can we infuse that into our other Zoom meetings, impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's so interesting you say that because whenever I did feel fatigued, whenever I thought, oh, it's too tonight, then I would catch myself and I'd think, oh, you're you're letting your creative spark dwindle. Mm-hmm. And that's because, yes, you've been in meetings all day and Zoom has become this kind of cerebral, heavy, talky space. So whenever I had that thought, I was like, okay, you need to mess it up. Like you need to, you need to find something new, come up with something new, new game, ask everyone to stick their feet in the screen and have dance with their feet. Like just, just do some mix up, do something different, you know? And that was always the, that was the lesson I kept coming back to. And then it's interesting you say in other spaces, because I'm getting more and more bold about applying these skills to all kinds of other spaces. So I think there was a time in my life where I had my theater making and theater facilitation that was the crazy stuff I did behind closed doors and then I would go to a meeting about a budget or <laughs> like a meeting about an application and I'd be very serious, you know? And now I often come to meetings and even if it is maybe people I don't know as well or it's a more serious meeting, I'll say something like, can we start with everyone saying what color they feel like they are today? Or can we start with the shake out or can, you know, just to, I'm sorry, and I'm glad people are very open to that. Yeah. yeah. I'm usually very appreciative. Yes. Yeah, I, I presented at a conference uh, earlier in June and started, you know, I wrote with research papers and, you know, and I just kind of started and said, I'd really like us all to take a moment to just be here together and take a few deep breaths. Mm-hmm. And we all kind of breathed in, breathed out, like just three big deep breaths in and out. But it, it, and I was waiting for that to be, I don't know, not an okay thing. I invited people to turn on their cameras for that. But I found the opposite was true, even amongst this group of, you know, like I said, 
academics, uh, very serious academics, and, but that there was almost, I almost see the softening. It's like people want permission to do stuff. You know, yeah. you have to allow them to do it. And, and once one person goes crazy, they say, oh, I can do this and the world is not going to fall apart. You know, like, you know, I have this thing whereby every time I'm going through, if I'm going shopping, I hardly ever go shopping at all now. But I, when I used to go to the supermarket, whatever, I'll be dancing with those cheesy songs that are playing, right? Mm. Just doing my crazy thing. And people will stop and look at me, but I, I don't care. I just continue doing it. And then the next thing is that seeing someone shaking their head too, because they're like, oh yeah, we can do this, right? <laughs> so if, even, even when, you, when we are on Zoom, the fact that you can stand there and start doing, you know, all these kind of cut body ways of talking to people because you feel this is the only way to be professional, it's, it's, it's crazy in a way. Like, who said that that's the only way to do it? You can do it in whatever way you want. You want people to get information. If you go and you speak for two hours, no one is going to hear you. <laughs> so you might as well say it in a way that helps people to actually engage with you mm-hmm. and build that connection that you want. Because we, we don't speak for the sake of speaking. We speak because we want to connect. The Hublic Sphere is a podcast produced by early career researchers at the Trinity Long Room Hub. For more information on this podcast episode, follow our Twitter account at Hublic Sphere, where you will be directed to our show notes and website. The second season of The Hublic Sphere is produced by Connor Brennan, Orla Darling, Lisa Doyle, Courtney Helen Gryle, Tom Headley, Lorraine McAvoy and Alan O'Neill. With many thanks for our jingle to Angus O'Loughlin.